Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Danielle Hernandez, and I'll be the host of this Fireside Chat, where we are going to talk about making money from digital. So this is a conversation on how executives deliver an ROI from digital transformation. And it's an honor to be joined today by Paul Smith, EMEA President at ServiceNow, and Michael Davison, Deputy CEO of Hogan Lovells. Welcome, gentlemen. And I think we need to start the conversation with a round of introductions. So, Michael, I'm going to go first to you. Please tell us about Hogan Lovells and your role there. Well, thank you very much, uh, Danielle. It's a great pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, so, Hogan Lovells is a, a global international law firm. Uh, we have over 40 offices uh, spread across three regions. Um, half our business is in the United States and the, the broader Americas. The other half in EMEA and, uh, and in Asia Pacific. Uh, we have over 8,000 employees, we have over 800 partners, uh, and it, it's a complex organization. Um, and my role as, as Deputy CEO is to be responsible for you know, the effective management of our operations globally. Um, and I can tell you this, that uh, the managing lawyers is, uh, or every form of management is a challenge, but I sometimes think managing lawyers uh, who like to express opinions and, and stick to them is, uh, is, a, is a real challenge. But it's great to, to talk to you and to Paul about some of our work today around data. So thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you, Michael and uh, Mr. Smith, your turn, enlighten us. Uh, we all really wanna know what does it mean to be ServiceNow president for EMEA? It's great to be here. So yes, Paul Smith, um, uh, I'm responsible for the business operations of ServiceNow in Europe, uh, Middle East and Africa. Uh, been with the business uh, about 10 months now. So uh, I have, uh, I'm one of those individuals that started a new role uh, in the middle of lockdown and a pandemic and, uh, and have got to know the business and ramped in that role. And I'm delighted to have the opportunity to meet with all of my teams and customers over the next uh, few months. Uh, and one of the things I love most about my role is getting to uh, meet interact and engage with uh, a fantastic community of customers, partners, and, and senior leaders um, like Michael and, and learn from all of their experiences and innovation um, as they're navigating um, what is uh, an incredible time to be in business. Thank you, Paul. So uh, I think we are all looking forward to meeting each other in person. So today we're going to talk about making money from digital, which is a very important topic because everyone is talking about the post-COVID digital acceleration, but we need to avoid making the mistakes we have made in the past. And if we look at the pre-COVID world, companies were already spending hundreds of videos on digital. So actually here in EMEA, only between 2018 and 2019, organizations invested $543 billion on digital. Those are IDC's numbers. Now, on the flip side is that only a quarter of those companies generated an ROI. So one in four delivered a return. And before COVID, the hard questions were already being asked at the board level. And, and by the hard questions, I mean the, the where is the money question. And then COVID hits there is obviously massive human loss. Balance sheets also start to bleed. Um, and budgets are reduced, but digital is the only way to go in this remote everything economy. So tech spend actually increases and accelerates it, um, but with a change of direction. 
So this is not anymore about funding some blockchain POC here or an AI pilot there. Digital has become about a core business model transformation. Um, but Paul, you are the one that is in the front lines every day talking to executives about digital transformation. So what are you seeing in the market? It's interesting what you're saying there about ROI around digital transformation. And, and I think, yes, even pre-pandemic, uh, a lot of boards were starting to look at, hey, you know, we're spending all of this money on digital transformation. What is the actual business outcomes we're achieving? And I'm sure, you know, over the course of this conversation, we'll get into some of, you know, why that hasn't always been successful in the past. So that was happening anyway, as you say. The 2020 was just an accelerant, I think, of everything in terms of while we were all really focused on ROI, <laughs> now we really, really, really mean it, right? It's, it, it's the, the focus on delivering a tangible business outcome in six to 12 months from a technology transformation, a major technology project has become more profound than I've ever experienced in my career. And the key thing that I'm seeing right now is that, and I think it's a very encouraging thing as well, is that the really smart organizations are focusing on that ROI, whether it's delivering increased productivity, reduced cost, some impact to the top line, and that's being used to fuel the long-term transformation of a business, uh, whether that's moving to a new direct-to-consumer model, a new subscription mobility model, all the things that we're starting to see in the economy. So more focus and intensity than ever before, but linking this short-term ROI to those long-term um, business outcomes. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. It seems like what you're saying basically is that executives have the hands in the now and that's the balance sheet, but then looking at the future um, to think about the, the digital economy and how they are going to deliver revenue and profit in, in that world. So um, could you give us a little bit more color in terms of the things that they need to get done in the short, mid and long term to avoid those mistakes of the past? One of the things that, um, that for me is, is encouraging is most organizations are continuing to invest notwithstanding what I was describing earlier, that as you say, it, it's investing with one eye on delivering real material return now, and the other eye on how do I pivot to a new business model that's going to deliver exponential growth uh, in the future. So I think, you know, organizations, I think cutting now, um, from a digital transformation, digital investment business, you know, that's not going to, that's not going to deliver any, any long-term survival or long-term success. It is making those intelligent investments now, um, that are really going to pay back in the future. So I think a lot of, I'm seeing a big polarization in projects. I think a lot of those nice to have medium term projects are not being executed, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of focus on short-term projects with immediate impact, and then long-term projects that have the potential to deliver exponential growth into the future, and very little in between. And I think that is absolutely correct. 
I think the other thing that I'm seeing as well is, you know, digital transformation, it's one of those fun buzzwords that's now become an imperative. But it's also one of those things that you're never transformed. It's not like I do digital transformation and then I'm hallelujah, I'm in the promised land, I'm now transformed and everything is good. It's more about an ongoing process, a digital first mindset, an exponential growth mindset, but also increasingly looking at this holistically across a company. You know, transformation really works when it is looking at those end-to-end business processes, end-to-end things that we do in a company, joining up different departments, joining up different silos, not just looking at technology, but looking at people and process as well as systems. I think organizations are getting much smarter at addressing all of those as part of this um, imperative now to go on a transformation journey, never done, uh, that I think avoids some of those pitfalls of the past, Danielle. Makes absolute sense. It's almost like an orchestration of technology, people, and processes to deliver more value to customers, partners, and, and suppliers. Uh, sometimes in, in a platform world, even competitors. So it's a, it's a very interesting future we are approaching. Now, Michael, I'm coming back to you because actually I stumbled upon your story and, and the fantastic work you do at Hogan Lowell's while preparing for one of these meetings that we have for ServiceNow's CEO community. And I really thought the story is fascinating, but um, before we jump into the details, it would be great to get the context first. So could you give us an overview of the state of affairs of digital transformation in a typical law firm? What's the industry standard? Sure. So look, you know, I, I, a lot of what Paul has been saying really resonates with, with me. If I go back, a year now when we were embarking on this pandemic and all the challenges and difficulties that we were all facing on a sort of personal and professional level. I mean, the, the issue was a real focus on, so, so what do we need, what, what is the business imperative that we need to, 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 to keep here to ensure that, you know, our business can, can, can move remote, can, we can continue to serve our, our clients. And we, we face some tough choices about, you know, do, do we carry on as business as normal? Do we try and change things? And, ha- and how do we decide what is best? And this notion of being able to demonstrate to my partners and to my colleagues, you know, a return on the investment we were making was, was absolutely um, critical um, to that. But, you know, we are, uh, in a, as a, if you look at the legal market, you know, the legal market is, is you know, is, is broadly flat. You know, overall global sort of demand for legal services is, is not, not increasing. So, so the way to, to be, be better is obviously is to take, take market share uh, and to, to grow uh, demand into, into new areas. And how does a professional services firm do that, particularly a, a law firm, which, you know, has lots of structural reasons that make it quite a conservative business model? You know, we, we are a partnership, you know, so we distribute you know, our profits. We don't, you know, tend to do, you know, it's, it's difficult for us to sort of get into the, the long-term investment gain. So, uh, you know, what we needed to do was to think how can we improve what we're selling uh, to to deliver a better product to that and that drives you inevitably towards you know to digital you know how can we 
get that competitive edge? How can we improve that service delivery? How can we actually track that that's what we're doing? That all leads you down uh, down the, the digital journey. And, you know, therefore, you need to really balance, you know, how much it's going to cost, what you can do in the short term, what you need to do structurally to be able to develop, deliver value um, in the long term. To, to grow demand, you know, in, in, in an industry which is, you know, which is basically seeing relatively slow increases to demand if in many markets actually flat, flat demand. So, you know, we, we, we have been giving a huge amount of thought to that as a business and as a conservative one. And, and, and I think what struck me was, was I, I was at a, a conference, actually one of our own sort of partnership meetings and one of our most significant clients challenged us. That's always great when people come up and sort of challenge the status quo and said, look, you know, in the years to come, I will come to law firms n- not because of their legal skill, but because of your data, because you are in a position to be able to demonstrate to me what what I need to do as a business so I can increase my competitive edge and, and increase demand in my industry. And that's what I'm going to look for in my lawyers. Um, and I thought that was really a fascinating challenge and one that we at Hogan Lovells were incredibly keen to, to take up and deliver on. So the one thing that we, were, we, we continued through the pandemic was this transformational journey towards a more digital world. But, you know, being able to demonstrate to our partners who are all our shareholders, you know, return um, and not just doing the nice stuff around the edges that looked kind of quirky and fun, but actually deliver you know, a benefit to, to the PNL. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's a great example of using data science to improve client relations, to understand what makes clients tick, and then redirect resources to increase profits. Now, um, could you tell us a bit about the results from from this journey at this stage? Yeah. So look, I mean, again, how you analyze that return, you know, I think Paul touched on, on, on a lot of the really important aspects of it. And, and that it, it may just be that, you know, actually, you, you can increase your revenue. But on the other hand, there are other ways of improving your service. And that's also by, you know, clients being happier, you know, clients coming back more often to, to buy services, to, to, to buy services from parts of our firm that they haven't previously used before, to go into new practice areas and things like that. So we have thought of digital in many different ways. How we provide the service okay, is, is certainly one, but then how we can identify what makes clients stay with us, you know, what I call the stickiness of client relationships. That's really important for us as a professional services firm. The clients like working with us because we deliver value, we deliver consistent value, uh, and that we can we can do that in a way which helps them improve their businesses. That's, that's the nature of a professional services firm. And each component of that requires an analysis of the data and, and you know being able to assemble the firm's data and we i'm sure we'll come on to the challenges around that in a way which enables us to do that so you know getting feedback from clients but learning from that you know he is you know getting inquiries from clients and, and being able to map you know patterns so this client in this industry is asking us this you know does that actually translate into a need for other clients in another part of our firm in another industry um, that all of that is, is part of the digital transformation of the supply of legal services. Very interesting, Michael, actually, that transition from legal services to almost becoming a data company and 
And this idea that yeah. basically technology in the business world, if we get it down to earth, this is about three things, right? It's about, as Paul said, either making money or saving money, but also what you talked about, making people happy. And by people, I mean customers, employees, suppliers. So, and that obviously indirectly fits into your top line and your bottom line. I remember one industrial client coming to us and saying, um, look, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be known for making this piece of engineering equipment anymore. I'm going to be a data science company. Uh, and I think that that thinking, that mind shift, which is what you were talking about, Daniel, I think is is going to be key for every industry. Um, I really do. And I think that's, you know, that was certainly one of the themes that Paul set up very nicely, I thought, in his introduction. I think it sounds like a, a simple thing, Michael, when we think about it being just a mindset issue but at the same time it isn't because a very big amount of very smart people so one in four uh, companies have failed to make the right investments so um, Paul I'm going to go to you to explain what are the the common challenges that you have seen in the past that are causing this um, lack of return on digital I think the the key for me is it, it's when these projects in the past have been in silos and they just haven't been linked to those clear outcomes. The, the thing that always makes me interested is when people start talking about a digital transformation that's going to take many years. You know, that's the biggest red flag for me. If your digital transformation has years in its project plan and deliveries and the beautiful graphs that you're being presented, you know, that for me is just, you know, red flag number one. Digital transformation and the technologies that exist today and what you're able to do today, you know, we should be looking at impact in weeks, in months, inside this year. You know, that for me is, and we need to start that, that agile mentality, that focusing on what's it gonna do for me now, I think that solves an awful lot of the problems uh, that we've seen in the past in terms of digital transformation. Agreed. It seems that uh, time to value is critical. And in, in the new way of working, it is possible. It does require this exponential mindset where you think it's not about having a mindset where the resources are, are not abundant. It's, it's quite the opposite. It's how to multiply productivity to be able um, to tap into the infinite source of resources, of data um, and technology that we have. With Michael, we have a real-life example of using customer insight as the way to permanently unlock new sources of growth. Would you agree, Paul, that this is the right starting point for a digital journey? So focus on the customer first. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um all of the, if I think back to Michael's examples, it's all been about better serving the customer both now and, and in, in the future. If I look to some of the other examples um, that I see, you know, around uh, Europe that, that I'm working on today, it is, it's about, you know, tangible customer focus. Those two examples I described before, you know, the German chemicals company, it's about saving money now, this year, like immediately, and putting that back into the R&D pipeline that will directly benefit that business and its uh, long-term uh, future. If I look at the other organizations I work with, it's all about what enables me to deliver a better experience for my customers now, either launching new services like a subscription mobility service if you're a car company, like a direct-to-consumer service if you're a CPG business, 
like a data and insight back service if you're in you know uh, uh, Michael's um, business. But now, you know, I think the key thing is customer first and its impact in the immediate like weeks and months term. Um, we have all of the resources and technologies available to us to make that kind of impact now. This doesn't need to be, you know, way over the horizon. Agreed. I mean, it's a, it's a really cool story. Uh, and I agree, the customer has to be the, the place to start. Um, Michael, I wonder if when you explain this to people in your organization, they understood the potential of becoming a data company right away or or if it was tough to really convince your colleagues and your people to join you in this journey? Look, I, I, I'm privileged to work for, for a great firm full, full of amazing people. Uh, and, and I wish I could say the, the answer was that it was, it was easy to convince people that this was, this was the way forward. Um, you know, we're lawyers because, you know, some people would say that, you know, we, we are here to manage risk and that can lead us to, to an aversion to, to risk. So the, the legal services industry is perhaps not the place that you would think of as immediately the cutting edge of all of, all of, of this particular journey that, that Paul so eloquently sort of describes. But, but no, I, I think that the challenge is, is, is to get people to, to see the tangible benefits quickly. And I really uh, em emphasize the point there of, that Paul is making is, you know, if you're talking about a digital transformation that's going to take you 10 years, that is a, a huge red flag, is being able to, is to get, get it up and running quickly so that people can really see the benefits of it. And You know, for, for a law firm partner and, or, you know, a lawyer, that, that's quite easy. It's, it's when the client comes back and says, what you did was great. You know, you are better than the competition at this. And here is another project for you. You know, here is another deal. Here is another case. Okay. And you can just say that and say that the reason that, that we were able to, to win that mandate or to, to continue with that piece of work for that client was because we were able to anticipate the client's needs not just the specific legal issue, not just because we're the expert in that particular industry, but how you deliver that advice to the, you know, in a way which is which really helps their their business and resonates with them, um, is 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 absolutely key. And to come back to the point we were making earlier, that, that that just doesn't mean doing something differently. It can mean doing it quicker. It can mean that you can automate it. You know that you can, you know you can. Um, you can you know replace the human being with you know with with a with a process that 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 you know that in itself gives rise to certain challenges for training our people going forward but that's the kind of thing that you do and then checking back in to ensure that this this client relationship remains as as sticky as as, as you want it to be because clients will come back if you give them great service if you give them cutting edge innovative solutions to their problems but also if they like working with you. So how do you drill into each of those three columns? I think that's really, really important. But getting my partners on that journey was not always straightforward. Um, and therefore, you know, um, and sort of linking up this very complex organization in a way to generate sufficient, meaningful data, again, not, not easy when you're dealing with a, you know, a partnership, um, to be candid. Yeah, I think you are not alone. <laughs> Most of the people we talk to find that convincing um, other people to come with them in this journey, it's, it's the number one challenge. Now, um, lawyers are your most important resource in, in your organization. So, um, and you talk about the need for automation, 
but obviously you will have to balance that with the need to, for example, sharpen your future lawyers so that they can provide these experiences that are your differentiator right now, but also in the future. How do you balance those two things? I think that's really, really important. I mean, look, let's step right back from this debate. I think it's going to be an issue for many organizations going forward into the post-pandemic world, which is how do you now develop a business model where more of your people will be working remotely, so will not be coming into the office to interact with each other? How do you maintain your culture, you know, your collaborative spirit, you know, your entrepreneurial, you know, desire to innovate and to be creative? How do you do that in a different different world? Added on to that is the fact that, you know, what we have always done traditionally in the way we've approached it and therefore how we've trained our people to react also has to change. So the speed of the digital transformation, the quicker you're going to have to move to getting your people into a place where, you know, they are doing things differently, but nevertheless getting to that level of expertise, which differentiates one law firm from another. Uh, and, you know, that that is that is that is hard. Um, so one of the big projects we have on for this year, in addition to our sort of transformation project and our, you know, our looking around, you know, technological technological solutions for some of the business problems that we have, is actually, you know, re completely looking again at our global legal education program um, to ensure that people have those skills, and to get that mindset in in people's minds that that what clients are looking for is not just the black letter law answer to what the law may be, even how the law may apply to their particular case, but what business advantage we can give them through the effective use of our experience or data or however you want to call it as a global international law firm. Yeah, very interesting. And um, Michael, this is actually just out of curiosity. Uh, the other day I saw that the World Economic Forum said that uh, closing the skills gap could add 11.5 trillion to the global GDP by 2028, uh, which tells us that people are probably the biggest opportunity of the 21st century, but also it shows the size of the skills gap. And you talked about um, law skills and, and the knowledge of your business. Also, to do data science, you need data scientists, which are not the, the most common species in the world. So um, was the skills gap a challenge for you? So look, I think the way the skill that, that, that layers across our whole organization, um, the skills gap. And I think, therefore, what we need to do is to, to, to augment traditional sort of legal education, you know, with more sort of business orientated sort of um, so we know we're running a whole uh, transformation process about how we actually market to our clients. OK, um, so that's something else that we're going to launch in 2021 to, to build off, you know, on the, the work that we've done around data so that actually not only. Do we, you know, are, you know, have we got this data, but we equip our people to go out and, and sell our services to our clients on, on the back of that data? That's where the, the human element comes in, because you can automate so much. But if it's a people business that relies on strong client relationships and, and sort of deep, sort of, sort of profound sort of institutional relationships between organizations, that's where the human being comes in. You know, those relationships cannot be built through through data um, uh, and, it, and it cannot be built just just by by automating processes. You know, 
people like working with other people and and therefore you need to be able to equip your lawyers who have been trained in all sorts of technical legal matters to be effectively to go to market uh, and to sell as a firm and that, that's a big skills gap and, and that's just not the lawyers that's every member of our firm has to be able to to, to do that because we all interrelate with clients every day you know the people in finance have to deal with our clients in relation to how you know how for example how we charge for our services you know that needs to be done in a way which is easy for the client enables the client to analyze how much it's spending on its legal cost where it's spending it how it's spending it you know how many diverse lawyers were put on its matters for instance you know all this all this matters to clients and we as a law firm if we want to play at the top of the game need to deliver that in a way which matters to clients so it's not just a skills gap for the lawyers it's a skills gap for every member of the organization in my opinion so it seems like um First of all, technology is going to automate some jobs, but it's creating new jobs, the need for new skills, and those skills have the business side and the technical side almost married into one job title most of the times. So it's like digital, it's, it's enabled by technology, but it's powered by people. Now, Paul, we are about to wrap in here, so I just want to go to you for a couple of thoughts on, on digital transformation. So what is digital transformation? What is not digital transformation? And how can we do get right digital transformation now? For me, it, it's really quite simple. And that's why it's been fantastic to, uh, to listen to Michael and, and you know, the story he's been telling of how uh, Hogan Lovells is absolutely you know, really driving forward on this. So for me, it's really quite simple. It's how do we deliver better, faster business outcomes for our employees, for our teams, and for our customers? And that's what digital transformation should be about. It's nothing else, right? It is better business outcomes for our customers and our teams. Uh, it is not technology for technology's sake. It is not transformation for transformation's sake. It is business outcome focused. Absolutely agree. It's almost like it's about doing what we do for a living. But now that we have more advanced tools to do that better, just leveraging those tools as and when it's needed. So I would love it if actually we weren't talking about digital transformation, <laughs> if we were just talking about what that is doing for my business and the outcomes that it is driving for my business. And I think the real secret is having that digital first mindset and that exponential growth mindset, that non-linear mindset, what are the services that are going to enable me to accelerate just at way faster pace than we've ever experienced before based on the more traditional services that we've been able to offer before. So it's the mindset that sits behind that, not the technology. Agreed. Uh, it's, it's all about how you look at this. And um, Michael, all of a sudden we are going through this digital reset. So it seems that we are all beginners at this game again because of the crisis, because of, of how the world has changed. Now, what is your advice to those executives that are trying to monetize digital? And in other words, basically, what have you learned from this process so that if you had to go through it again, you would do things differently? There's there's a lot in in that question. I mean, I think um, Paul has has identified that, which is to focus on it being 
meaningful in terms of getting a return. There are a lot of things that you think are are nice to haves um, that that are quite you know that that sound good. They sound a bit different. They they sound differentiating. But actually, there's a lot of very simple stuff that you can do that really generates the you know the return, um, and and to, and to get the motor going quickly. I mean, if I look back, we spent too much. This is because lawyers love to plan. You know, they love a good plan, um, and you know then they'll spend ages on the plan, then think their job is done and 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 leave. And I think you know what you need to do is you need to spend perhaps less time on the planning and a bit more time on on the doing. Uh, to get to get it get it sorted, uh, and to, and to have a uh, have a strategy, an overarching organisational strategy for how you're going to approach it, so that you don't have one business unit off doing something which generates a fantastic thing, but which you can't plug the the, the data that that thing produces into your overall strategy. You know, we've had to do quite a lot of work actually just to join our systems together. We were the product of a merger, albeit ten years ago. We still have systems which are not you know fully able to sort of you know function properly and we we put all that behind us now and we have this very simple very straightforward um uh, strategy around that the other thing is is a mindset thing which is 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 that you know people particularly in professional services you know can be incredibly siloed so you know what i know you know is my practice you know it belongs to me you know it's my relationship okay it's that mindset that, that it's the firm's data you know it's the firm that's on this journey and that by raising the quality of the service the firm provides the whole boat will rise and i think those are very sort of important mindset things that that, that need to shift but just get going on the journey okay don't don't spend a gazillion years having a committee that plans and thinks okay just start because then and you'll end up where Paul advises us not to be, which was a, a 10-year digital transformation strategy, which is, as we all, I think, now agree, a big red flag. Any advice uh, to the executives listening to us in terms of how to deliver exponential growth in the digital economy? I think it's, again, there's so much in that question, <laughs> right? And if I knew the answer to that, then, you know, watch out world right but i think it is about it's about having that mindset and that focus again which is you know there are certain things that naturally lend themselves to non-linear exponential growth you know the kind of services michael's been describing around data insight all of that richness that sits inside the firm which can really inform client decisions and thinking you know that is not necessarily constrained by a certain number of people you know if i look at let's say any form of customer experience customer care you know traditionally that has been mediated by the number of people that i might have to be able to respond to those inquiries in a call center if i really are able to deliver fantastic multi-channel scalable customer care using machine learning virtual agents and so forth i can deliver a better experience for my customers but i'm not necessarily constrained by the same um, people constraints i had before so i still need the great team of people i've already got but i now have the potential for non-linear growth you know beyond the bounds of that so i think there are things we can do and investments we can make that set us all up for non-linear growth. But I come back to first and foremost, it's it's the digital first mentality. It's the thinking um, that sits behind this. Uh, it's the focus on, you know, just start the journey, as Michael says. 
Agreed. It's almost like if you are not able to imagine a future where everything that you know will change, then you are probably going to be out of business because the f that future will come. Um, two things, very interesting things. One is it's all about human behavior. Incentives are a great shaper of behavior. So um, that is a, a great way potentially to to funnel your digital transformation towards collaboration. And as Paul said, um, it's, it's also all about the customer. And, and this is going to get very interesting now that we are all opening up back to, to normal and things are going to start moving from remote only to, to hybrid. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, this has been a, a very interesting conversation. Thank you very much. Michael, Paul, for your time. My name is Daniel Hernandez, and this was our fireside chat about making money from digital. <music>